Okay, and we're back in five, four. Wait, you're telling me there's more? <sighs> Good afternoon and welcome to episode 20. Hi, Scott. Hello. It took us way too long to get to episode 20. <laughs> two years. Yeah. About two years. Yeah, it's, it's 20 weeks is what it should have been, but we're not consistent. Uh, that's okay. I mean, yeah. we, we moved buildings. We did. We also did a lot of other things in between, but you know, we could have always podcast. Podcasted? Pod- podcast. Podcast. I don't know. How many S- magazines have we put out in that span? I don't know. I, don't, I can't keep track. There's too many. Let me see. Okay. Well, while you do that, Anna, the outline keeper, what are we talking about today? 15 magazines. Oh, so um, in the 15 magazines we've been doing this podcast, uh, we have actually been a magazine for three years now. Uh, Cypress started in July or August of 2017, and Scott's been here since November of that year. And I came the following May. Yeah, I got here at the tail end of November. It was going to press when I started. So December was actually my first magazine of that year. And my first magazine, I was here for the delivery of June 2018. And, but my first magazine that I actually contributed to was July, August 2018. And been here since. We're actually trying to fit this in before we go deliver magazines. They should be getting to the warehouse in the next hour. So we gotta gotta get through our topic and get out. So our topic is uh, just three years of great stories. Um, we've published so many articles about the great places that make West Tennessee great. Yeah, a great, <laughs> I, I was trying to phrase it better, a great place to live, work, and visit. That's, that's kind of my spiel when I'm trying to introduce the magazine to people. Um, it's real Tennessee, man. Yeah, real real Tennessee, um, real West Tennessee. With, All right, don't yeah. get hung up on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hung up on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um I guess we'll just go back and forth between some of our favorite stories that we've like worked on. That, yeah. So what, what, like a, what's one of your favorites since you're on a roll? What? I didn't mean to be on a roll. I mean, you're doing great. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging. Okay. Um, so in the two, two years I've been here, a little over two years, I've written about, I'm trying to think. Shoot, I knew at one point exactly how many articles I'd written. I've written about 50 articles in the two years that I've been here. Um, And if that averages out to a thousand words per article, which it's a little bit more, but a thousand words per article, that's 50,000 words I've written in two years. It's like a novel. One of the longest stories I ever wrote um, is a story about... um, this man that lives 
out just outside of Millington, Tennessee, uh, in between Millington and Frazier. And he don't get too specific. Don't get too okay. Sorry. You don't need to know where he lives. Right. He lives well, he lives I'm in just trying Milton. to set up the scene. <laughs> it just it really that he, li- he lives in Millington area. He lives in the Millington area. Fine. So um, the reason I'm setting up the scene is because of his relative close, how relatively close he is to Memphis. He uh, was in the army with Elvis Presley, and so. I got to sit with him for about three hours and just listen to the stories about the shenanigans he and Elvis got up to while they were stationed um, in Fort Hood and then back over in Germany. And that is honestly, I think, my favorite story that I've ever written for the magazine. Mr. Norville is just, I need to go and see him. I try and go and visit him. He is absolutely... I think one of my favorite people I've ever met and he just, it, his story means so much to me, not from the fact that, you know, he knew Elvis, but just because I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed meeting the guy. Yeah. I, uh, when I went, I asked if he knew my granddad, just the off chance. Cause they'd both been in the Millington area for so long. And Bill actually owned a business in the Millington area. And I asked him, mm-hmm. I was like, do you know, you know, Carl Albert, uh, he's Marine. And he's like, yeah, big tall guy, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. He's like, yeah, he came to my shop all the time. And I went home and asked my grandma and she's like, oh, we know Bill and his wife, who, whose Ivy. name I don't know, Eileen. Ivy. Ivy. She passed away a while ago, but mm-hmm. yeah, my grandmother said they were, they were good friends. So, so I, was I, surpri- I was surprised to know that. I ended up asking him the same question if he knew my grandfather, John Cooper, because my grandfather did a lot in the Millington area. He's like, yeah, I was friends with John. And he started explaining, like, how they knew each other. And it turns out that um, one of the first buildings that Mr. Um, Bill Norville got uh, was kind of in part because of a mutual friend of both my grandfather and his. So Mr. Bill calls him his, like, adopted father. His name is um, Russell Stevens. Mr. Rusty died before my grandfather did in 2003. And um, he really helped Mr. Norville after his time in the military to get his building so he could start his auto body shop. There we go. (laughs) It's just, it's fascinating to take a peek into the perspective other people had on your grandparents. Cause I know I look at my grandfather kind of with like, um, stars in my eyes. Cause he was just bigger than life. He died when I was six or seven. And it's just like, all I have are these faint memories. And there's this guy that I'm talking to who I didn't know before arriving here that knew my grandfather very well. It's just really interesting. The people you meet through the magazine. Yeah, but all these old people know each other. <laughs> so I wonder if our, if our grandparents knew each other. They probably did. They probably did. They probably did. I love how you have like a nervous tick that you have to get everything factually correct. It bothers at, me if I don't, you know? Because that was a very detailed recollection of, yeah, building my granddad. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's it's weird. I don't know. It's always nice when you can find um, a connection with people, I guess. Yeah. And that's just... I really want to go back uh, 
to Bill, you know, just to see him again. But also, he's got a collection that I want to I want to photograph and put <laughs> in the magazine because it was sweet. Yeah, yeah. He, he he keeps flip-flopping on whether he wants to talk about it for the magazine or not. The first time we went by, he said, no, I don't want this in the magazine. The second time I went by, he was like... Oh, he couldn't wait. Yeah, he was like, I think I want this in the magazine. The third time, he was like that again. And last time I went, I took him an angel food cake. It was in June or July. A long It was after the story had been published, and I was just visiting. And he was like... He didn't mention anything about it, but I think... Because I know you and Nathan went up to see... I mean, me we and Nathan went, went up times. to see it. And then the second time we went to get more photos, you went and saw oh, it. Oh, yeah. When I went, after we got done taking pictures for the article, he was like, you want to see this? Like, <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. I was like, yeah, okay. And I was expecting not what we saw. Like, I was expecting like more a third of... Or not even a third. I was thinking it's like a sixteenth of what we saw that he had. It's pretty fantastic. But this it was it was pretty cool. It was very surprising. It was it's kind of like what every little boy dreams of doing when they get older, but then they grow out of it and Mr. Bill just never did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That was that was a good one. I I really liked that story. Can I um, can I tell a story that I didn't end up putting in the magazine? Sure. So, um Mr. Bill and Elvis um I'll just say it like this. Norval and Presley would um, leave base a lot. As often as they could, they'd get weekend passes. And so while they were on these weekend passes, they would go and do different activities. One of the things that uh, Norval and Presley did most often was go to the movies. I was nervous. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> There's a lot of activities you can do in the Army. Go ahead. <laughs> They went to the movies quite often. Presley um, enjoyed a good picture show. Well, they did it so often, in fact, that Presley's fans uh, ended up catching on. And so um, at one point, they ended up having, I don't know how many times they did it. It was never, it never came, it never came across <laughs> very clear when um, Norval was telling the story. So um, at one point, they would have to exit the theater from, the back exit where the the emergency exits so they wouldn't get mobbed by fans well the fans caught on quick to that and they were waiting at the exit one time and presley had this checkered uh, like jacket that he he loved it was his favorite jacket norval said and um he had gotten it from that pe the shop in the peabody i don't remember what it's called but that's where elvis got a lot of his clothes at that time in his life um, they got a separate store now downtown. I don't think it's in the Peabody anymore. They have their not? own. I think they have their own building. It's right next to the Hard Rock Cafe. Okay, I have no uh, clue. Yeah, I can't. It's something Brothers, I think. Yeah, I something Brothers. I yeah. can't remember. Anyway, not important. <laughs> now he's getting caught up in the details. Um, still me. So um, it was Presley's one of Presley's favorite jackets, and the fans mobbed him. They just absolutely. It was like he was a beetle. It was during the time of the right before the Beatles, I guess, and they just absolutely, like, clamored at him and were, was tearing at his clothes, and they tore that jacket, his favorite jacket, to shreds. And as when Norval got Presley into the car, Presley was just devastated, and he said, you know, why would my friends do that to me? Why would my friends ruin my jacket? And he just couldn't understand why people were doing that to him. And I think it's so... 
it shows such a human side to Elvis Presley, like him not loving his fans because he loved his fans. He would do anything for him. And there's so many more stories I could tell of just Elvis Presley doing things for the benefit of people. And it just, it's, it's one of my, I, I hate that that happened. It makes me feel sorry for him, but I think it's just a, a good story to tell, to give insight in, you know, what it was like back then and how close Presley and Norval were. It makes me kind of wish I had included that story in the article. And there are several other ones kind of like that that I didn't include. Okay, I'm done talking. Okay, I was trying to look <laughs> up the... Uh, the store? The, the store. All it says is Memphis Music Hall of Fame, but I know on the window it has their logo and says Dressed Elvis and everything. We walk by every time we go downtown. Um, we might have to do a future update. Yeah, anyway, it's not important. Uh, <laughs> my there's thing that we've done lately, or pictures I've taken, I don't write stories, but was uh, the Real Foot Lake House, which was in this issue that's coming out uh, this week. So it'll be out before this issue comes out. And I've mentioned it before. This podcast. Before this podcast comes out, yeah. But uh, I've mentioned it before. It's just such a cool house. And all the houses we've done have been phenomenal and awesome. But mm-hmm. I'm just a huge fan of the lake and this one is on the lake and it's a, I I don't know. We feature mostly their tiny home in the back, which (laughs) just appeals to me even more. Yeah. And so I I don't know just where it's located, the style of it, it, my editing has gotten better over the last two years and it's, I think they've just turned out the way I wanted them to. They're gorgeous. it's just been one of my favorites to photograph. Also, I feel like we won't burn through mine quicker, so I'm going to go ahead and do two for one. Okay. So drink drink and food shoots, those are my other favorite thing to do because I like doing product photography more than I do people. So if you're ever in the magazine or ever have been in the magazine and I photographed you and it was weird, it's not you, it's me. I'm not good with people. But uh, products... I, I they just do what I tell them to. I they, I put them somewhere and then it's done. So I I like doing drink shoots. I think my favorite was uh I think Halloween last year the drinks because we had a lot of fun with long exposure and oh, that was lights fun. light trails. That was a good one. I enjoyed that. Also, this last uh, the issue before this one we had a martini that I had a lot of fun with dropping the uh, olives into it, making a big splash and catching that. So since we're taking turns, um, I'm going to talk about my next favorite story that I've written. So for the longest time, this was the longest story I'd written um, until Norval came along. So this is, I guess, technically, since it's not in the series, the second longest I've written. Um, and I I love it just because I love the people that work there. Um, so... The Shelby Forest General Store is absolutely like one of my one of my all time faves. Um, Norval and Shelby Forest kind of kind of tie with each other, and it's it's just because Doug is such the owner, Doug Ammons and his wife Kristen, Miss Kristen. They are just they are such people people persons person peoples people persons. Yeah, I know it's a hard one. I I don't know. I like it. They're close. Uh, they're way closer 
then uh was it Bolivar? Not Bolivar. Bolivar? Uh, oh, Backermans. Backermans. Yeah, Backermans. it's way it's way closer yeah. than going to to uh, wow, my brain is shutting down. <laughs> it's so much closer. I can get a fried pie there than driving 2 hours. Yeah, so um Doug actually met with the owner of Backermans um when he was when he was still around here. He's actually moving back. Doug told me recently, um, one of the Yoder brothers. And so, um, he met with him and so they have Backerman goodies at the Shelby Forest General Store. And it's, it's just one of the things that make the place, the place feel like home. I mean, I grew up in Drummond. It's 15 minutes away from anywhere. And it's, it just has, it has the same vibe as like when I think about home. So like when I, I got homesick quite a bit in college, and like, it's like when you step in to the store, all your, all your worries fall away. I just, I, I love going there and it's, it's just so much fun. Cause Doug is such a character. He absolutely 100% makes the experience. I was asking him during the interview about, um, you know, how the general store got started. And he came up with the best phrase ever. He started in his announcer voice. Forged in the bowels of the Great Depression at a time of national hopelessness and despair. And it's just like, it was a show, but it's home. It was just amazing. It was such an amazing story to get to go and do. And it's another one of those interviews that I, it was the first long interview I had ever done. I was there for three hours, went back another time, was there for another two hours. And every time I go to deliver magazines now, because they are outpost, it's just how much I love this store. I just, I want to be there Do you more get than once there? a month. What? Do you get fed when you're there? Sometimes. Oh, the food's so good there. This I went, food is so good. I haven't eaten there in a while, but we went with, or not we, I went with my grandparents when uh, my granddad's sister came to visit and they took them out there. And that was the best burger I think I've ever had. Yeah. It was so good. I it's didn't, such I didn't, good I was food. like, we're going to, I, this is, I, I had, I didn't know Doug at the time. And this was, I don't know, I was like 17. Like, why are we going to <laughs> a little shack out in the woods to have a burger? Man, it was delicious. Mm hmm. Yeah. No. Um, Miss Kristen, she's the one that mans the grill and they have some, they have some help that comes through and they'll do the grill along with Miss Kristen. And it's, it's just, it's good old home cooking. It's You can't find a burger anywhere like it. They have steak nights on Friday nights, which I haven't gotten to go to yet. I'm dying to go to one. And because of all this COVID stuff, they've really had to rework um, their business model. I hadn't even thought about that because they have yeah. live music, don't they? Yes, they normally have a live banjo player who's also a friend of my family. And so, like, all these years I've grown up hearing about, you know, the live music that gets played at the Shelby Forest General Store by Rob Holt and uh, the rest of the band members. I can't remember their names. Sorry, guys. And um, <laughs> and it's, it's just so much fun. I got to hear all about it growing up. And then finally, as an adult, I went. And I regret not having gone earlier. I think it's one of those places that every single person should go to at least once. Because, like I said, it's like stepping into your grandmother's kitchen. Or it's like meeting an old friend you haven't seen in a long time. It's just, it's one of those places that you just, you have to go to. I love it. I, I don't know what else to say about and it, it. And it also, 
they sell a, a bait too, don't they? Yeah, they so, sell so bait if you're too. So if you're going fishing, you know, stop and buy, grab some bait, and then, you know, yeah. get, get a cheeseburger. It's, and a fried pie. Yeah. Fried pie. <laughs> it's literally on the entrance of Meeman Shelby Forest State Park. Yep. So if you're looking to do some fishing and want to hike through some nature or, you know, anything you want to do. Hunt down Justin Timberlake's mom's house. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it is the general store that Justin Timberlake grew up in. He actually well, not met. In it, he, he grew up around. I was just saying he bought his mom a house and I'm pretty sure it's in the state or back in there. Oh yeah, it is definitely for sure. Yeah. Um, who did, who did Justin Timberlake meet on the porch? Al Green? I think it was Al Green. Um, they had their know. first meeting on the front porch of the Shelby Forest General Store. And um, when Justin Timberlake released his 2020 album, he did this like scavenger hunt thing. And he, he or somebody would place an album wherever. And then on Twitter, he would tweet out a clue. And whoever got there first, obviously, would get the album. And um, Doug gets a call one day from... I can't remember if it was Justin's, one of Justin's crew. And he was like, Doug, I want to warn you. You're about to have a lot of people come in the store. And we absolutely had to do it. And I'm sorry, but I just wanted to warn you before you get flooded. And not even 10 minutes later, the shop was full of just screaming girls, fangirls. And Justin had left one of his 2020 albums in a booth in the back room. And so like, it's just little things like that, that make it such an interesting place. Do you know what I would do if I was famous? What would you do if you were famous? I wouldn't have a crew. I would just have an immense collection of disguises. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Cause I feel like we're talking about a lot of Memphis people. We're not focused in Memphis, but we're just, we're close. Yeah. But, uh, I feel like Justin Timberlake would be the type of person to have a limited crew and a lot of disguises. <laughs> it's, uh, I think that'd be a blast. I would do that. Oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, he lives in, um, where does he live? Just outside he, of Nashville. Oh, he's got a house. I think he's got a house in like Utah that he lives he's in most of the time. Houses. He's got one in Memphis. He's got, yeah, he's got, I mean, why not? He's got money. Yeah. All right. Next. Moving on. Yeah. You get to go to the next so, one. Another one that I really enjoyed that I didn't think I was going to because it's not, what I do, people don't believe that I'm from the South because I, I mean, if anyone listens to this as from the North or not the South, I, I have an accent, but it's not much. And some people don't believe me when I say that I was born and raised here, uh, but I've never been hunting and I've never been a fan of hunting. I love meat, but I don't want to kill the meat. <laughs> okay. Um, That's a weird way to put that. Yeah. Scott. Like I don't want to kill it, but I'll eat it. But, um, we went quail hunting with a Turner quail hunt. And again, I got some awesome photos, but it was just a cool day to see how well trained the dogs were, how yeah. well the business was ran, how much the guys that were out hunting enjoyed themselves. Like it was just, it was, it was a good day. And then I went with our other photographer at the time and it didn't seem like his cup of tea at all. Like, he seems like a complete city person. I mean, yeah. He's not. He's the same as me, born, raised mostly out here. But, I mean, he had a blast, too. I think, I mean, we both did. It was just a very scenic, peaceful, besides the occasional gunshots, pretty day. Like, it was It was just a good time. 
I don't want to go hunting, but it was fun. You guys seem like you had a lot of fun. You got some really great pictures out of that shoot. I did. I think I got picture of the year with one of those photos. Oh, man. I, that was a really good photo. It was that guy, though. I mean, I didn't do much work. He. All right. So this guy, I don't remember his name. He just stood so stoically the entire time. He'd get into a position and he'd rest the butt of his gun on his hip and he'd have his hat down low and he'd tilt his chin up and he'd look smolderingly out into the distance listening for a quail. Like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then his friend, man, his friend could shoot. As soon as a quail come up, he wouldn't even look. He'd just point and shoot and it was down. Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. So... I have, I'm just going to talk about one last one. I'm not going to, I had a fourth one, but I'm just going to leave that one off. Um, so Doug, yeah, somebody's coming in. <laughs> it's not working. continue okay great so um doug ammons actually introduced well sent me this guy's way um so in halls tennessee which is in lauderdale county there is a man his name is dr murray hudson and he collects maps and globes. So, um, I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> what, what, is the, what is the word for that? He's an antiquarian? He's an antiquarian. Antiquarian. So, that just means like... And I think we've talked about him before. Have we talked about him I a little before? I think we before? have, because I remember talking about how nervous I was in his globe collection. Yeah, we talked about it a little on the last podcast. It was... I think that was one of my favorite stories, just because I love history, and that's why... Um, I love history. So I've, that's why I've, I've tried to kind of incorporate my love of history into the articles I write in the magazine. Um, it's one of the reasons why we started a memory series. And it's just like, it, originally it was like a time travel series and we were stepping back in time to explore the history of things. And now it's kind of like we're exploring um, memories of days past, which is it's in the same vein. We're pretty much doing the same thing. And I think Dr. Hudson's collection was like a preliminary article before we came up with the memory series. He has... At a the, lot. He has a lot. Three, I like, three buildings worth? He has three buildings worth. So he has his storefront, which has like... Mostly maps. Mostly maps. And then he has... Two additional buildings, one that is just full of antique globes and things like that. And then his third, his third building is full of like wall hanging maps. So all of his, um, he also collects like antique, antique books and other rare, rare finds. I'm doing great with the pronunciation of words today. So, so. I, I really enjoyed Murray's place and I love history, but 
it, like I said, it made me nervous because I felt like I couldn't touch anything because everything had so much value to it. I really like history I can touch. Like, oh, you know, this is super old and super cool and we use it for this, but if I break it, eh. <laughs> there's a bunch of them. There's not a bunch of these maps. Like, they, they've disappeared over time and he is, it's his goal to preserve them and sell them to a museum or put them in a library so that they can be copied and preserved forever. So he's actually tried to um, kind of give away his collection to the Smithsonian more than once, and it's so big that they will not accept it. Um, there are some pieces he has had bought from him by the Library of Congress, but they've made it all digitalized, and it's gone into storage in Virginia. And he told us, like, if it goes into storage in Virginia, it's never coming out again. So, like, he's had these things, and no human eye will probably see them again if they like well you can see them digitally I mean, but you can't digitally. you can't hold them but also you don't want a map from 1774 of i don't know virginia like that might be the only one like you, you don't want to hold that and touch it well i mean his ultimate goal i think is I think, is to spread the knowledge that these maps bring. So, like, he had some of... He either had the oldest copy of a map of the Americas in his possession, or he had a recreation of it. And, like, there are some people, for instance, um, the couple that owns the Casey Jones Village in Jackson, they actually got in contact with him to get a copy of a Tennessee map. And they had it, um, I don't, I don't think it was a print copy of it. I think it was, um, they bought the map from Murray and then had Murray, Dr. Hudson restore it. So it, it cut off, like it was, it wasn't just Tennessee. It was Tennessee and Kentucky, but they only wanted Tennessee. So they had, um, I think you probably had it copied then. They must've. Yeah. Well, they had some sort of digitally preservation done. So they could just have the map of Tennessee on their wall. Yeah. But I mean, maps cool. like that, like cities disappear, you know, they, they move or whatever. Like seeing something from 200 years ago is completely different than it was, than it is now. Like, for example, like you just did a series of stories on Randolph. Randolph is virtually not there anymore. True. Like if you look yeah. on a map, you're not going to see it. No, no. So, well, no. Yeah. So it, c comparison it's, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're at like 30 minutes. Uh, we've got to get wrapping up. Okay. So what have you been up to? Well, I want to say one last thing about All right, say Murray one last thing about Murray. So at the time we wrote the article in his possession, he had um, 25,127 um, items in his collection. And that's, I mean, that is huge. I can see why the Smithsonian doesn't, didn't want it. <laughs> So, all right, I'm done. Okay, so what have you been up to? Um, my nephew, Aiden, had his third birthday on Sunday, and we had his birthday party the day before on Saturday, and it was dinosaur-themed, and I think he loved it. So, I mean, that sounds awesome, but why is everything little boy dinosaurs? Because, like, <laughs> trying to buy clothes for my son is incredibly difficult because 
I don't want him to be a dinosaur. Well, I, Scott, dinosaurs and little boys match. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of dinosaur clothes. He needs regular clothes. It's because, I don't know, it's cute. It is. He's got a pair of uh, monkey-footed pajamas oh. that he needs some more of because he's almost outgrown them, and they're super cute. I'm really bad about forcing my interests on him. <laughs> so, like, I've been getting him clothes with a lot of sloths on it because I love sloths. Oh, my God. And they're so cute. I have I got two matching sloth shirts, one for Aiden and one for Conway. And Lindsay took a picture of them wearing it the other day. And I printed like six copies of that thing to give out to family. Because it was so <laughs> cute. It was so cute. Um, and Conway, how old is Conway? I think I said he was seven months last one of the episodes before. He's only six months old. And um, he spits up a lot at the moment. And so like. I'm not okay with that. Dude, so my son projectile spit up. The, I'm not going to say vomit, but he like projectile spit up this oh. morning. He was he was laying on his back sleeping, and then I heard him kind of gurgling. And so I got to check out to make sure he was okay, and he was. He was doing fine, and then he just kind of coughed, and it just spewed across the, the so bassinet. That was, is so gross. Yeah, it was gross. And I didn't put it cleaning it up, so I put a towel over it and then turned him around so his feet were in it. <laughs> oh my god, Scott. <sighs> Dude, I, I've been up since like 4.30. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that's what you get with a new baby. <laughs> yeah. So, my spending spree has continued. I bought a new car. Oh my god. <laughs> that's but, not the duration I thought that this yeah, topic was going to go. But, like, that's it though because... Now I don't have any money to buy anything else for the next, like, five years. Oh, my God. New kid, new car. I know. That's part of the reason I was up this morning, because I feel bad. Like, okay, so we've been saying I've been working part-time. I've been working part-time from home. I'm still full-time. Yes. He's still full-time. He just, just part spends part home. of the time out of the office. And so I was stressing out this morning because I realized for the next four years... Unless somehow I can afford daycare, I'm going to have to work from home partially for three days a week. And so that was, I was trying to figure out, like, how can we do daycare? I can't afford daycare. What are we going to do? Like, I can't, I feel bad not being here all the time, but like, I can't be here all the time. So I think what I'm going to try and do is stay home with him for the mornings the morning from you know 8 30 until noon take lunch and then bring him with me when i get up here about one and then my wife who's a teacher will get off and be able to come pick him up at 3 30 and hopefully a baby's not going to be too much i mean it's going to be difficult but hopefully not too difficult for two hours and then the other day it's going to be with my mom and so i i don't know i was stressed out about that so that's why i didn't go back to sleep I can understand that. Yeah, because daycare, why is daycare so expensive? I was looking at it, I was like, oh, what is it going to be? It's like $180 a week. Oh, man. That's... Right? Like... Wow. Private school doesn't cost that much. Well... Out here it doesn't. I'm pretty sure, Matt, my... So, my nephew, the, the three-year-old, he's in private school preschool at three. He started at the... Mid, middle of August, I guess. And it's... I, th I don't think that's cheap either. Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know. I want to see. I know some people that own a daycare. I'm going to try and talk to them. Oh, see, see are you? I, dude, I don't know. Like, like I said, I feel bad not being up here the whole time, but. My mom loves children and she did, she worked in a daycare before I was born. And then once she was pregnant with me, that's when she moved on to law and she would love to run a daycare. Well, if she wants to quit her job working for a lawyer, I will pay her almost <laughs> nothing to watch my son. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> She'll do it on Saturdays. She'll. I don't need her on Saturdays. I know. She I watches her. Aiden and Conway on some, some I, I, I need her Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough of our problems. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.